So if you guys haven't noticed, um, we're running late today. And uh, I knew that we were going to be running late today because of um, the all-important um, covenant that we made with each other. And so I told Tracy, I'm just going to have to preach a short sermon. And she looked up from her coffee and looked me in the eye and said, do you know how to do that? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to find out. (laughs) Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for the amazing gift that you have given to us through redeeming us through the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have fellowship with you, and that because of you, because you died for your church, Lord, that we have fellowship one with each other. Father, I pray that the words that I speak today would be salt and light, that we would We would be covered by your spirit in your word, that we would be built up in our, in our spirit by it, Lord. Father, speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 24. Truly, truly. That is the divine imperative. In the Old Testament, the prophets would say, thus says the Lord. That's what, when you read in your Bible, when you see truly, truly, that is what that means. Thus says the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. These three verses are the explanation of that proclamation that Jesus made when Philip and Andrew came to him with those Greeks, those Greeks that wished to see him. He said to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 23. As an explanation of what this hour is, what he knew his ministry to be, he told them and us exactly what that hour is is and his hour has a three-step process one he must die two in dying he will bear fruit and three that the father will honor him that was his hour this is his ministry This was the predestined and perfect will of his loving father, that he would lay down his life, that he would lay aside his fears and anxieties, all in adoration 
and obedience and die in order that great amounts of fruit would be produced. We know that if you plant a wheat seed, that tomatoes don't grow. If you plant corn seeds, you know that corn is going to grow. This is one of those truths that God put in place in the beginning, as told to us in Genesis 1, verse 24. God said, let the earth bring forth its living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. The grain of wheat in verse 24 was speaking of him. We know this because he tells us this in verse 27, when he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus knew that if he were to obey the command of his father, to fulfill the ministry that he had been given, he was going to have to die. I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem really strange. I want you, as you're sitting there now, to try and put yourself in the sandals of Jesus. Try and for a few seconds to think about what it would have been like to have been him. Because he was perfect. There were times that he could understand the thoughts of men. He knew the intentions of people. And he knew who were his and who weren't his. He could turn water into wine. He could heal the sick. He could bring the dead back to life. He could stir up large, very large crowds of people. He was a leader, the leader. He could have, he could have led an open revolt against the established government and religious systems. He could have obtained for himself vast amounts of money and prestige all for himself. He could have led the good life and still would have been what we would consider a good man, a good king. All that he had to do was disobey his father, not surrender his will or his anxiety to his father. Think about this. Because Jesus was fully human. He had thoughts just like us, desires just like us, dreams, aspirations just like us. Don't think that when he, went in, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days with no food or water that he didn't think, what the heck? That he didn't get hungry, really hungry and don't think that satan came when he came and offered him an easy way out a fast food meal that this was not a temptation to him don't think that satan offering jesus the kingdoms of the world was not a temptation which one of us sitting here if we knew what jesus did about his hour could have faced the temptation by Satan, and not taken the easy way out. Because this was within the realm of possibility. 
He could have chosen not to obey. He could have chosen to build his own kingdom, to live for his best life now. And what Satan was offering him was all the world or the kingdoms of this world. Jesus would have had more wealth, more opulence, more ease and comfort than any man ever has. He would never have had to go on national TV and beg for money for a new Learjet. He would have owned the Learjet Corporation and had one for each day of the week. He wouldn't have just been the president of the most powerful nation in the world. He would have been ruler of the entire world. And all he had to do was simply bow down and worship Satan. Just once. Even if he didn't really mean it. All he had to do was not see his father as all-loving, altogether beautiful, and completely holy. All he had to do was allow his human nature to rule, to allow his emotions to take the helm and submit to the fear and anxiety that this hour that was coming upon him was causing him. We don't stop and allow this truth to invade our minds or our hearts when we're challenged by the commands of God that go contrary to our desires of the flesh. We never stop to think that Jesus had these struggles as well. The desire to take the easy way out, to live selfishly, to disobey. We never stop to think, to ask ourselves what it was that prevented him from ever falling away, from ever disobeying his father, forever living outside of the will of his father. It was one thing. It was because he knew the father. Don't discount this truth. Don't allow yourself to sit there and scoff at me and think that what I am saying is not truth and doesn't apply to us. There is one major difference between the human Jesus and us. He didn't have a sin nature. He did not, had not defiled himself, himself as we have in this way. And this is why he really knew the Father. Oh, come on, David. Jesus was God. You said that yourself many times. Remember all those times you drill it into us that Jesus is the I am, the eternal God? This is why he lived the way that he did. Yes, Jesus was completely God, and yet he was completely man, a perfect, sinless, spotless man. He was in the same form that Adam was created in. And just like Adam had the opportunity and ability to sin, so did Jesus. If he didn't, then the Bible telling us that he was tempted in every way like us, yet he did not sin in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, would be a lie. 
And the entire Bible would then unravel because of that lie. It would be meaningless. This is all part of that step one, the dying part. We all understand part of what the death of Jesus was, what the Romans did to him at the hands of the Jews. We understand and can conceive of that death. But there's another death that Jesus speaks about as being part of that hour in verse 25. When he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When Jesus speaks about life in this sentence, he uses the same word with the same meaning the first two times. And then the last time that he uses it, that word that he uses has a completely different meaning. In one occurrence, the word that he uses means life both physical and spiritual. And in the other, it just means spiritual. Well, that seems to make sense. Hear that verse replacing that word life with those meanings. Whoever loves his physical and spiritual being loses it, and whoever hates his physical and spiritual being in this world will keep it eternally, spiritually. Well, that seems to make sense. That seems to follow and jive with what we know of the Bible and the Christian life. But it is completely wrong. And those meanings are backwards. Listen to what Jesus meant when he said, whoever loves his life loses it. He said, whoever loves his spiritual being will lose it. And whoever hates his spiritual being in this world will keep it eternally, both physically and spiritually. Allow that to sink in. Allow that to process through that supercomputer that is your mind. Allow the implications of that understanding of life to mess with your sense of self. Because Jesus knew that the battle that rages on inside of you is not physical. It's spiritual. He knew that all humans love their spiritual being more than anything else. That they, we, do not and cannot hate it and love God instead. And this is why Jesus had to die. And this is tied into that amazing grace of God giving, or the grace of God in giving us his son for us. It's also tied into, and just as important, importantly tied into the incarnation and virgin birth of Christ. Here, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're saved, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is part of why the church is so weak. Because we don't see what Christ did in stepping down out of eternity past and taking on the form of man as dying to himself. We don't see the enormity of this event. We don't wonder at the sacrifice that he made just in this. We don't think anything of it, even to the point that within Christendom, we argue about the virgin birth as if that 
was the real miracle of Christ entering our realm. The ministry of Christ was always a ministry of reconciliation. His mission was always a rescue mission, even at that immaculate conception and virgin birth. And every aspect of it was him dying to himself to complete it. We'll allow ourselves to get all weepy about Jesus being separated from his father on the cross when he who knew no sin willingly became sin. But we think nothing about Jesus willingly separating himself from the father when he stepped down into his creation. Somehow, he cloaked that divine part of himself from his human self. He limited himself in being himself. We know this because we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We never get weepy about that separation. The one that lasted not for three hours, but for 33 years. We're very willing to gl and glad to accept the truth of Jesus becoming sin on our behalf as fact. We're okay to tear up at that separation. That separation proves that Jesus loves us. That separation was the cost to purchase me. But when it comes to this other separation from the Father and the truths that are contained within it, such as this dying to myself thing, well, we're not so weepy about that separation. And we actually think that we can question it, decide if we're going to accept it or not. We're not so weepy about that separation. That separation has far too many practical implications of our life. It hits much too close to home for us to get weepy about. But we can't allow ourselves to discount this separation because it was part of that hour that Jesus knew as his last hour. This is all part of that dying thing that is his hour. If it were not for the first separation from his father, the second separation would not have purchased a people. If it were not for the incarnation and the shielding of himself from himself, he could not have lived a spotless, sinless human life and would not have been the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What were the results of his hour? What was the fruit of that hour? One of them is told to us in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. When we're told, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You thought I was going to talk about you, didn't you? What fruit did his, the death of that seed produce? The church. Us. What does the blood that was shed by the seed do? It redeems the church. And that fruit that it produces is very distinct. Just like the fruit of the lemon tree or any other fruit is distinct. God says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify 
for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That's Titus 2.14. His fruit are a people who are purified and who are zealous for good works. John tells us in his, in his first epistle that if we walk in the light as he is the light, that we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. That fruit are a cleansed people that walk in union and communion with each other. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we were ransomed by the, the precious blood of the Lamb. Verse 19. And we're told in the book of Romans that we have been justified by his blood and that we have been saved from the wrath of God by it. I want to stop here. I want you to think about that right now. I want to camp here for a second. Here in this one verse is the greatest act of grace that God has done for us. Us being redeemed is amazing. Us being purified is great. Us having life in Christ is, is, any, is more than anything we will ever deserve. But if God had just stopped there, if he had only given us his spirit to know him, but didn't pay the price for our sins, he would still have had to pour out his wrath on us. And we would live eternally knowing him. But we would be in hell. But because he, Jesus, separated himself at the incarnation and lived a sinless life, meaning that he died to himself and his desires, because he obeyed his father, adored his father, suffered separation from his father, his father could accept that sacrifice on the cross as payment in full for our sins. And the arm of God was stayed. His wrath was satiated. If you are in Christ, listen to what it means for you. In Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world was created. 2 Timothy 1.9. Ephesians 1.4 tells us, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In Christ Jesus, you are loved by God with an inseparable love. Listen to this, Romans 8. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus, you are justified before God, and the righteousness of God in Christ is imputed to you. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the fruit that was produced in step one of the hour of Christ. And the good news is that these truths, which are the fruit produced in step two, are inclusive of all that are in him, that all, of all that are of his seed. 
And then that third step, the honor that comes from the Father. Hebrews 5.5, 5, So also Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but he was called by the one who says of him, You are my son today, I become your father. And John 3.35 says, The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. And in John 10, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Here is the hour of the Lord Jesus the Christ, the Son of Man, the I Am, the King of Israel. And our verses today do illuminate and explain that hour. But they also illuminate and explain our hour as well. In fact, only verse 24 is speaking about the hour of Christ alone. And even in that verse, that verse is meant for those who are in Christ. But verses 25 and 26 speak specifically to us, about us. Hear these verses again. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's verse 24. Verse 25. This is speaking of us, of our hour. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone serves me, he must follow follow me and where I am there will my servant be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him if we are Christian if Christ does live inside of us if his blood has ransomed us if we are a new creation in him then all this comes with an expectation of change. Shocking, isn't it? 1 Peter 1, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the, in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you do fail to meet the test? Our hour is all wrapped up in his hour. Our hour is just a tiny portion of his hour. But because we are the fruit of the seed that died, we will then act like the seed. And as we're told in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Somehow, we have the ability to not die. Even though we know, as told to us in Hebrews 9, it's appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We understand that verse as a fact. We understand that we're all going to die. 
But somehow, according to Jesus, we won't die. Well, how can that be? It can be because all throughout the book of John, we hear Jesus talking about life in him as being different from this thing that we call life. John 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, again, that divine imperative. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He was talking to living people at that moment. And he tells them that belief in him, through belief in him, that they enter into life. This is clear proof that Jesus didn't see this life in this realm as the real life. This life will end. Your flesh will die. That life does not end. Galatians 7 is helpful in understanding the difference between these two lives. It says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, think about that. God is not mocked. Those things that we do, we think that we're getting away with it, not a big deal. Those things that we know are contrary to his will, not a big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody but me. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This dichotomy is all tied up in the reality that we are saints. If we are in Christ, we are saints, entombed in bodies of death. This is what Paul meant when he said that we have this treasure in jars of clay to to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. This is the meaning of hating this life and yet keeping it for eternal life. This is also what is meant when Jesus said that if you love your life, you'll lose it. This is why, the understanding of this is why we don't get all weepy over that first separation. It has far too many practical implications for us. If we claim to be of this seed, claim that we are fruit of this seed, Then verse 26 speaks to us. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 26 is not a suggestion. It's not a probability or a possibility. And it's not speaking of one of many different kinds of fruit the fruit that is produced by that seed dying. It is an absolute. And all those that are of that seed that died are evident. Just like you can look at a corn stalk and know that it's not the same plant as a tomato plant or an apple tree. The same is true of those who are of of this seed. And if you are of his seed, That proof will be evident all around you. You will look like him. You will act like him. 
If he were a corn seed, you would be a corn plant. He was a life-giving, holy seed. A Christian is one who has been granted new life in the death of this seed, and none other are. This is a grave warning for those that desire to be kind of like Jesus. Those that want to claim his name, but who are not really of this seed. Those that he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we will, um, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty might, um, works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The folks that he was talking to there did mighty works. They cast out demons. Which of us have done that? They prophesied in his name. They spoke truth in his name. They must have actually thought that they were of that seed that died. They thought that they knew Jesus. But the fact that they missed is that he must know them for them to be of him. An illustration of this was given to us in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Traitor. There's this little conversation that happens between Edmund and Eustace. Hearing Edmund speaking about Aslan, the unknowing Eustace asked, well, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? To which Edmund replies, well, he knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and Narnia. This is reality. Any plant that is of that seed cannot separate itself from that seed. It can only do the things that that seed did. This is why God, through Paul, admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 11 to follow me as I follow Christ. The ESV renders that verse, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now do you understand maybe a little bit more why this covenant thing is so important, that we esteem each other? Because of that, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now can you understand also the importance of understanding the suffering of the Christ, the dying of Christ, that the hour of Christ didn't just happen on the cross. His entire life was one of dying to self. But he was never unhappy in doing this. The writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But you're going to argue, this is impossible for us to do. Christ didn't have his sin nature. We do. And you're right. And because of this truth, we can never in ourself ever produce real fruit 
of this seed. Unless we are of this seed. Then if we are in Christ, then we have been given a new alien nature. We have been given his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as told to us in Mark 10. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Can you not see why this truth makes us understanding the hour of Christ much, that much more important? To understand that his hour began at the incarnation, that the separation from his father began then as well, that the one thing that kept him from falling like Adam was his love and adoration for the father, that he grew in the grace and knowledge of him. If this is truth for Christ, then this one thing, Thing will keep us from stumbling. And that one thing is knowing Christ Jesus, your Savior. This truth should cause you to strive after this knowledge. Do you care if you fall away? Do you care if you might not be of this seed? If so, if you do care, then you will make knowing him your life quest. More than any other thing, this will be the one thing that is stamped as the banner of your life, that I may know Jesus that we would emulate our brother Paul. Hear me in this. He was just a fruit of that seed, just like we are. He was no better or no worse. But hear him on knowing Christ. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Which of us have done that? And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that God, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and, sh and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Is that the heart that we have? Paul was not a super saint. He was just a product of that seed that died. But this is what the life is that we gain by hating this life. We gain eternal life. 
if we are, are if we really are truly of Christ, if he lives inside of us, then we do have the power and even the desire to hate this life, just as Paul did, just as Christ did. And when we do, when we follow our master, our maker in hating this life, then we can know that verse 25 of chapter 12 applies to us when he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I want to read a little excerpt from 1 John. You might want to turn there if you're quick. First John chapter 2. This is an exhortation from the same man that wrote the epistle of John, the gospel of John. Beginning in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not much wiggle room there. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, abides forever. Church, think about the suffering of our Christ. It's not that last day. Not just that last day. Not just those last hours. His whole life was a life of dying to self in order that he could purchase us. If this matters, if he's living inside of you, this will matter. And you will view the things of this world as rubbish in order that you may gain your Savior. Let's pray.